Well, I'm thrilled to be joined by Bill Pascrell III, a member of the great team at Princeton Public Affairs down in Trenton. Bill, thanks for joining me. Thanks, Brian. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, listen, let me start by doing a very high-end kind of little laundry list of some of the people you've worked with and, and a little bit of your background. I can't, it's going to take me too long to read all this, right? But I'll just, I'm going to throw names at you. Uh, let's start with our, our current governor, Governor Murphy. You've done a lot of work with him, a uh, member of the uh, Governor Finance Committee and the Council to the Transition Team. That's amazing. Uh, you've done work on the county level, of course, being uh, with roots connected up here to Passaic County, where I am sitting today. But the names continue, Bill. You know, of course, there's the John Kerry presidential campaign and the work you've done consulting with and advising you know, New Jersey's senators and you know, Governor Corzine and the late Frank Lautenberg and Bob Menendez. It just goes on and on, Governor McGreevy. So, I mean, I, I'm going to run out of air here with the long list of things. Let's talk about your education, of course, Rutgers and the Eagleton Institute and Seton Hall Law School. Uh, again, Bill, it's great to have you here and we could talk about so much because you've done so much and you've you've known so many people and advised and helped so many people at the New Jersey level, but you also operate, you know, nationally and frankly, internationally. And what we're going to talk about in depth is gaming and the gaming industry and how that is blown up here in New Jersey and how that has tentacles across the globe. So, Let's start at the high level, and I know you get this question all the time. What is the state of gambling in New Jersey? Brian, I've always been, since I left public service and joined my firm that I'm a partner in now, Princeton Public Affairs Group. It's the oldest and largest state contract lobbying firm in the country, yeah. uh, based in Jersey, founded by my partner, Dale Florio, who you know. Uh, not related to Jim Florio, though I worked for Governor Florio. That's right. So one of my first clients, ironically, and you know I'm a yellow dog Democrat. <laughs> don't hold that against me. I'm pretty moderate in the Democratic Party and have a lot of Republican friends. But one of my first clients was the Donald uh, way back when, when I joined my firm 27, 28 years ago, helping him with his casino, uh, you know, failing then casino industry. But I was always a brick and mortar casino government affairs guy, lawyer, lobbyist, advocate, advisor. And about 11 years ago, my life changed, not just professionally, but socially and, and just in terms of accomplishments. A gentleman by the name of Joe Brennan, who used to work for Google, mm. very bright man, far brighter than I'll ever be. I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed. I just work hard. But uh, Joe gave me an opportunity of a lifetime. He called me in October of 2009, and you know, Brian, because you're well-learned in not only American politics, but Jersey politics in particular, Governor Corzine's running for re-election. I'm involved in his campaign. Governor Christie is giving it a go. And the poll numbers showed that Corzine would probably win, and we know he did not. I get a phone call at Princeton Public Affairs Group. I'm sitting in my office across from the State House. Joe Brennan calls, had no idea who he was. He said, Bill, Pleasure to meet you. I don't need a sales pitch. You don't need to read your resume to me. I'm convinced. I want to hire you. I represent iMega. What's that, Joe? It's the interactive media entertainment gaming industry. And that is 
And this is where this stuff gets good. And I think your listeners and viewers will enjoy it. It was made up of 38 offshore expats who fled the country when the Wire Act passed ah. and created online gaming companies in Costa Rica, Gibraltar, Alderney, Isle of Man, Malta, all those great sexy places that I've been privileged to visit. He said, Bill, listen, you can get your own lawyer to do your G2, but we're a legal organization. My guys all fled the country because they believe online gaming should be legal and it's not. Right. So they're taking bets offshore. They're going to take the revenue from those bets, the profits that they made to retain you, to be an advocate, to advocate for three things. Online gaming, mm -hmm. exchange wagering, which is very simple. I'm a pretty simple man. Peer-to-peer -peer betting. So, Brian, you put a bet up. Right. I take that. The exchange is like the stock exchange. They take a rate from the transaction. Mm -hmm. Sure. You win, I pay you. I win, you pay me. And the exchange takes a rake. He wanted to introduce exchange wagering to horse racing. Hmm. Was never done at the time in the U.S. And then finally, sports betting. And just to let you know how unlearned I was at the time, I said, Joe, what the heck is online gaming? What are you talking about? I said, Joe, what's exchange wagering? <laughs> and by the way, I could go to Nevada right now in Vegas or Reno and bet on sports, or I could go to my local bookie. Right. I said, Bill, exactly. We want to legalize it. Right now, you can only do it in Vegas. So here's the state of gaming. And I got tons of great stories. But I said to Joe Brennan, Joe, we're 30 days away from a governor's race. There's nothing I can do between now and the election to help you because the legislature's not meeting. Why don't you call me the day after the election? He said, Bill, I want to hire you now. I don't want anybody else to gobble you up. <laughs> I said, I won't allow anybody to hire me in those three categories. Call me the day after the election. He made fits and starts and cajoled. And I said, Joe, most of my brethren and sisters in the lobbying industry would take your money right now. Let's talk the day after the election. Shocking to me, Corzai lost. I mean, oodles of money yeah. was relatively in good shape in terms of the polls. And he lost pretty convincingly to Chris Christie. It was not a close race. And there's a whole bit of politics about that. But the next day, of course, I was hungover, having been in the war room all day and night. And um, Joe called me and said, okay, Bill, what's your price? And the rest is history. Three weeks later, I was in Vegas. Three weeks after that, I was in Copenhagen, speaking at an international gaming conference. And that's just the basis, the foundation, Brian, to let you know that from that point in time, there was no online gaming in America. Right. And there was no exchange wagering in horse racing. Let's fast forward to today and then we can fill in the gaps. So we're framing it. The book ends, if you will. Today we have online gaming. It's going into its eighth year. It launched in November of 2013. New Jersey was the first state in the nation to do it. In 2010, we launched exchange wagering and horse racing. New Jersey was the first state in the nation to do it. Many others are doing it now. And we had a 10-year battle to legalize sports betting, repeal the federal law called PASPA, the Professional Amateur Sports Protection Act, which your former senator, my former senator, Dollar Bill Bradley, passed, the former New York Knickerbocker, which 
forbid any state in the nation from doing sports betting unless they opted in for one year. Hmm. So in 1992, George Bush was president. He signed the bill. Bradley got the bill across the goal line. Jersey didn't opt in. I was counsel to Governor Florio then. Chuck Hytalian, who was the Speaker of the House, didn't want to do it. So New Jersey was shut out for upwards of two decades. And then on May 14th of 2018, the uh, U.S. Supreme Court, after a 10-year battle that I was the quarterback for, overturned PASPA. And a month later, we legalized sports betting in New Jersey. And we should talk a little bit about that. But here's the state of gaming. Long-winded answer. But the state of gaming, New Jersey is the third largest jurisdiction in the world. And we're comparing New Jersey to countries now. England being number one. Jersey being number two, New Jersey's number three for online gaming. Wow. Wow. Okay. So hold on. Great origin story. So I love that. So now we, you got a lot in there. Let me unpack what you just ended with. England, Germany, New Jersey, right? So immediately what comes to mind obviously is probably soccer, right? So England and Germany both probably are doing a lot of wagering on soccer. Now, Tell me I'm wrong. You know, the obvious connection to New Jersey is for years, for you know, a century, it's had Atlantic City, right? And so we've had casinos here. We've had a footprint and obviously population, right? Now we're talking about online wagering, right? Online gambling. So let me take a step back because I'm a novice at this, right? So help demystify the dummy here. We're talking about the exchange wager marketplace. Right? That seems like a logical step to me, right? So prior to having that in the U.S., I'm hearing from you that these interested parties had to do it overseas, and that's the only option that was there. But now that's in place going back, if I heard correct, almost a decade. So now... It's, I mean, the third biggest in the world. I mean, that's a huge explosion in the last eight years. It's only going to get bigger. I'm going to come back to online gambling. I want to touch on sports betting. And the Supreme Court effort there is fascinating. And using your words, you're the quarterback on that. We could spend an episode alone just on that. That's amazing. And if I'm correct, that effort, those arguments, started under the Christie administration and finished under the Murphy administration? Correct. Wow. I mean, that alone is a huge effort. We'll come back to that. Online gambling. Give me a sense of what that means. What's the landscape of that space? What is it? It's interesting about where we are today and where we were in 2010 when I was hired. Well, I was hired really at the end of 09. Right after that phone call with Joe Brennan when he called me the day after election day and I was hung over from that devastating defeat, the first thing I did was fly to Vegas to meet with Joe at the top of the Bellagio, and he was going to kind of brief me and educate me. While I was doing that, my partner, Dale Florio, was having lunch with Governor Christie, working on his transition team. Christie had said during the gubernatorial election in 2009 on the fan that he was all in on sports betting. You know, former U.S. attorney, accomplished lawyer, now governor-elect, he said back then in August of 2009 that he thought it was ridiculous that there was a law allow one state to do something and not the rest. And he felt it was very unconstitutional. He wanted to bring the power of sports betting. So we had many meetings with Christie during the transition in the early years. And to his credit, you got to remember something. 
whether you like Chris Christie or not, or whether you like his politics or not, and he and I don't agree politically. However, he took a real Herculean effort to get these things done. They were all done basically under his administration. He allowed the state to sue the NFL to bring sports betting. He allowed the state to pass a constitutional referendum to allow sports betting. He signed the law to bring exchange wagering, and he signed the law to bring online gaming. And of course, the NFL was against it. I'm a big football fan, but the NFL is one of my major nemesis in my lobbying career because they were benefiting from Vegas betting because they would get money from that betting, but they were against sports betting outside of Vegas because they thought by keeping it illegal, they could control Vegas but they wouldn't be able to control the concomitant states that would come on board. So after we passed the ballot referendum, they filed a lawsuit, injunctive relief. Wow. Now, we'll continue on about sports betting, but online gaming was a very interesting experience. April 2010, there's a historic date known globally in online gaming. Now, when I say online gaming, I mean casino, poker, and sports betting. I was in Malta speaking at a gaming conference, meeting with the regulators in Malta, because Malta was somewhat of a mecca for online gaming for a few reasons. Real low taxes, pretty lax in regulation, and a huge international confluence of folks, which makes for great innovation, et cetera. So you had Russians there, Israelis, people from Scandinavia, people from Europe, South America, some U.S. expats, whatever. I'm at church. It's Good Friday, 2010. We just had our 20th anniversary of what's called Black Friday. I went to the wrong mass. You know, there's an English mass, an Italian mass, and a Maltese mass, uh. and I went to the Maltese mass. <laughs> so I didn't understand a lick of it, but, you know, you sort of know as a Catholic what the rituals are. Mass sure. ends. I go out the back exit because that's where the masses went. They didn't go out the front door to this cobblestoned alley lined with carts and peaches and wine and fish, fruits and vegetables and cheeses. And I'm enjoying myself. I'm having the time of my life. Back then, I have an Android now. I had a Blackberry. And this is late morning, probably approaching noon, and my Blackberry blew up. Because back in the United States, the Obama Justice Department indicted three online gaming companies, Poker Stars, Full Tilt, and Party Poker. And they indicted them because they felt that they were violating the Wire Act. Because a lot of people try to make the online gaming industry illegitimate, black, dark, dodgy. The way to make online gaming legitimate is to legalize it. Because there is a whole black market of online gaming right? where you win your right. bet and you don't get paid, but you fund it. So that indictment, my BlackBerry blew up. I'm representing poker stars at the time. But here's the difference between poker stars and the other two that were indicted. Esai Scheinberg, who was a VP of IBM based in Canada, but he created the basis for poker stars, which is one of the most successful online gaming companies in the world. He created a software company called Peer Software. He had a software operation that could do solitaire. I don't know if you remember, you could play solitaire sure. on your laptop yeah, at sure, the time. Sure. 
He turned that into a Texas Hold'em Poker Stars platform, and it was genius. When Esai and his company were indicted, he immediately made the decision that he was going to consult with me and some other advisors. I got him a really good criminal defense attorney, former Attorney General Mike Messina under the George Bush one administration. Esai never believed he was violating the law because what the law says is it's illegal to do online gambling. It is not illegal to do what's called skill games. And Esai believed that poker, unlike blackjack, casino, baccarat, all those other games, poker was a skill game. Hmm. That argument, by the way, was used by the Daily Fantasy guys like DraftKings and FanDuel later on. He never believed he violated the law. His son was also indicted. His son paid $50 million to the U.S. Justice Department, never served jail time, paid his penalty. He was at one point in time, about eight years ago, the most eligible bachelor in Europe because he's worth oodles of money. But the father made a decision. He paid millions of Poker Stars customers what was left in their accounts. All of his customers received their money, either in check or credit card credit. None of the other companies did that. Esai later went on to buy one of those other two companies and refunded all those players. Esai educated me immensely because about six months after that indictment in April of 2010, that Good Friday that we call Black Friday in the gaming industry, particularly the poker industry, Esai flew me out to the Isle of Man, didn't even know how to get there, didn't even know where it was. You can't fly direct from Newark to the Isle of Man. He goes, you'll figure it out. Landed in Malta, get off the plane, have my passport. They're like, you don't need a passport here. You know, on, just, you're here. <laughs> when I met Isai Scheinberg, who I respect immensely, he uh, welcomed me into the Poker Stars headquarters based in the Isle of Man. Now, the Isle of Man is made up of bank companies, betting companies, many betting companies, Continent 888, Poker Stars, et cetera, et cetera, and aerospace companies. Why? It's a tax haven. They don't have income tax there, corporate tax. They have what's called a VAT tax. So you buy a Perrier, you pay tax on it. You buy a phone, you pay a tax on it. You make a million dollars, you don't pay tax on it. So I go into Esai's conference room, really didn't do a good job doing my intelligence because I had an open collared shirt and my cross falls out of my shirt. And you would have thought Esai was Dracula. He was like, Bill, what? You're not a part of the tribe? <laughs> I said, no, he said, I'm Roman Catholic. He says, well, you're going to be my goy toy. <laughs> and we hit it off. We hit it off. He taught me more than I learned in all of high school, all of college, and all of law school. He's an amazing human being. Now, he was indicted. He could not leave the Isle of Man because he would have been extradited. There's no extradition treaty with the Isle of Man. And then I had to break the news to him that Governor Christie would not license Poker Stars if he was still the owner. And he sold Poker Stars to a Canadian company called Amaya. Amaya buys Poker Stars for $4.8 billion. Esai retires to this extraordinary castle in the Isle of Man, which you could see when you fly in, which is extraordinary. But he was frustrated because he was locked down in the Isle of Man for many years while Mike Messina was sorting out his prosecution. He thought in 2016 
that Hillary would win and that might help him. Trump did not help him. And uh, he turned himself in last January. Flew to New York, turned himself into the U.S. Justice Department, paid a heavy fine. Mike Messina did a great job at educating the Justice Department. This guy could have fled with all that money. He refunded hundreds of millions of dollars that he didn't have to. And then he wants to kind of wipe away this issue. The beautiful thing about Esai is right now, as we speak, he's playing tennis with his granddaughter in Costa Rica, where he owns a beautiful estate right outside of Lyon, right up in the mountains overlooking the uh, Pacific. And Esai didn't serve one day in prison. And they were looking to lock him up for a minimum of five years because they said, essentially, you know what? This is not a bad guy. We understand your argument. We still think you violated the law, but we understand your argument is you thought it was a skill game. But you also did a good thing by refunding all those U.S. citizens. You paid a fine to the U.S. Justice Department. And I'm telling you right now, if you tonight go home and turn on Netflix and watch a movie called Runner Runner, it's all about poker stars. It's a great movie. A lot of famous actors, and I'm not going to bore you with right. that. Koppelman, right? Brian Koppelman uh, wrote it, I think. Correct. Yeah. It's a real story. They changed the names, obviously, to protect the innocent or the agreed. <laughs> but I'm telling you right now, Esai will make a comeback. He's not the type of guy to sit and eat great food in a castle. And, you know, he's in his late 60s and a very brilliant man. Well, it seems obvious to me that this is a longstanding story you've just told that brings us up to current. But the landscape of online betting, online gambling is really just starting to mature, certainly domestically. So, I mean, I'm putting two and two together there. He must be watching what's going on and thinking, well, you know, there's a lot of growth opportunities. There are. Well, listen, I want to ask you about that, right? Growth opportunities, a lot of opportunities for growth. In a way, some of what you're talking about reminds me of the cannabis industry, right? Where you're describing taking it out of the dark, making it a legal effort where there are what? Say it with me. Tax dollars, right? So And jobs, right? So talk to me about, I'll use your phrase, you know, bringing these efforts out of the dark here in New Jersey. What does that mean for taxes and jobs and in the bigger picture, you know, nationwide and internationally? So online gaming and sports betting have been going on in exchange wagering in Europe for decades. Mm-hmm. The state of California was the first state in the nation back in the early 2000s to introduce a bill for online gaming. They haven't been able to get the bill out of committee in 20 years. Folks like Caesars and many other large gaming companies hired big white shoe lobbyists, paid them $40 million a year for many years to try to move a bill in Congress. As a matter of fact, somebody who shares my name who's a member of Congress was a sponsor of that bill. Before I ever got into the online gaming industry, he sponsored the bill with Barney Frank way back when, when the Democrats controlled the House and Barney Frank was there many, many, many years ago in the early 2000s. Of course, I have to interrupt. We were talking about your father, the great Bill Pasquale, number two. Junior. <laughs> Junior. Congressman Pasquale. Yes. So please continue. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. You know, it's really funny the way life works, right? A lot of people hide behind their businesses and take money from folks and never deliver. And that's what I like about my firm. And I'm not the only reason for this. Our entire firm, we deliver 
We're doers. We're not here to take money. Thus, my anecdote earlier about Joe Brennan, I'm not here to take your money. I can't help you until after the race. Boom. But here's the trick. These companies, like poker stars, like Caesars, MGM, were paying each $40 million a year to lobbying firms and couldn't even get a hearing on their bill. And I said to Isai Scheinberg, and Joe Brennan was the client at the time, and I said, you hire me for pennies on a dollar compared to those numbers. And he paid me good money, good money for a boy from Patterson anyway. <laughs> and we got it done in 18 months. And I said at a conference, my second gaming conference I ever went to, the first one was in Copenhagen, December of 2009. Christie gets inaugurated in January of 2010. I go to London for what's called London Ice, which is the largest international casino exhibit in the world. 50 to 60,000 people go there every year. I've been speaking at it every year since. Joe Brendan got me invited to speak at it. I gave a speech on what's going to happen in the U.S. Frank Ferenkopf, you will remember him. He was the Republican National Committee Chairman under Ronald Reagan. Oh, wow. He was there representing the American Gaming Association based in Vegas with really a lot of casinos around the country members, but they were dead set against online gaming because they thought you go online, you're not going to come to our casinos. We're going to lose money. It's going to cannibalize us. So I Farenkoff, I knew he was in the audience. I said, Frank, here's what's going to happen. The less sophisticated will continue to spend 40 million a year on lobbying and get nothing done. My dad happens to be the sponsor of the bill. He told me it's not going to get done because it's hard to move it. I'm just telling you, the way you're going to do it is by using the crucibles of experimentation in the democracy, our state governments, and we're going to do it in a state that has a Republican governor. You know, sometimes gaming in the past has been dodgy in a Republican Party politics. I had talked to Christie about it. He was embracing of it. And so I said the way to do it is to get Jersey to move. Then Nevada will follow. Vegas will also follow. And then the rest of the dominoes will fall. And that's, in essence, what happened. So today, each bet placed online is taxed at 13.5%. Ooh, hello. Each bet in a casino is taxed at 8%. But the only way to have what's called in the gaming industry a skin for you to be able to launch your online platform, you got to be married with a brick-and-mortar casino. Right. Because I was asked through testimony, Bill, how do you prove this won't cannibalize the gaming industry? I said, very simple. Look everywhere else in the world. Well, you don't have any studies in the U.S. Because there's no U.S. <laughs> online gaming. Yeah, hello. Nah. Yeah, hello. Whatever. I said, what we'll do is we'll have a 10-year window of this bill. And in those 10 years, the online companies, which are all abroad, there were no U.S. online gaming companies. They have to marry with a U.S. casino. Each of those casinos got five skins each for poker and casino. And then later on, three skins for sports betting. So DraftKings would be a skin, FanDuel's a skin, Rush Street's a skin, party poker, so on and so forth. Wow. Wow. You know, that makes perfect sense because, and again, demystifying this a little bit in the dummies world where I sit here, I can see Frank out in the audience going, oh my God, this guy's blowing up my client's business. We can't let them get in. But, you know, what you're talking about is this marriage that makes sure this goes forward wisely, 
right? And in the state level, it's, again, I'm drawing that cannabis analogy. These other states open this door, they go down the road, and then, oh, okay, proof of concept. This is how it happens. And then, boom, moving forward. Am I, am I off base with that? No, you're so right. And, you know, it's almost like a dream to me what's happened in the last 12 years of my life. And I'll tell you why. When I testified before the first committee in the Senate Gaming Committee, Jim Whalen, the former mayor, Senator Whalen, God yeah. rest his soul, yeah. he died very young in life. He was a lifeguard, very healthy man. Before that committee, Senator Shirley Turner, who's still a senator representing Trenton, she was dead set against online gaming because she thought it was going to prey on the underprivileged. And she thought it was also going to hurt the casino industry, which many of her constituents work at. They would drive from Trenton, Atlantic City for their jobs. And I said something very simple, and it's true. I said, Senator, when you walk into a casino, and I walk into a casino, I'm a gambler. I'm not an addicted gambler. But there's no way to track gambling addiction. Just like there's no way to attract alcoholism. You walk into a liquor store, they don't ask you if you have your alcoholic card. They look at your ID, they see you're 21, they let you in. But in online gaming, you can monitor. Now, that turns a lot of people off. I don't want to be monitored. Well, then don't gamble online. Go to the casino. Right. But you can monitor and track. And the proof is because I had to not only lobby against the brick and mortar industry and a lot of conservatives who were against gaming, period. But I had also lobby against a lot of the Johnny Dugers, like the AAA organizations. And we got them very easily. I'm going to be somewhat tongue-in-cheek because I think it'll be more interesting. I'm not being cute, and I'm certainly not disrespecting anybody, but we bought them out. And how did we buy them out? They went away because in every year, the New Jersey Council for Problem Gambling gets a half a million dollars from online gaming every year. Their budget before online gaming was only about 150 grand. And I said, the reason we're doing this is there's no proof to your argument where gambling addiction is going to increase. It stays the same. It doesn't decrease. But you got to put parameters in place to prevent online gambling addiction. And again, I'm going to fast forward to today. I'm working for a global public companies foundation. I'm on the board with Amani Toomer, former New York giant, and Martin Lickwood, the head of Entain's foundation. And we're doing responsible gaming and problem gambling projects across the country with veterans. We're going in locker rooms for pro teams and college teams. Charles Oakley's going to be joining us to do that with Amani to educate young folks going into those college athletic locker rooms to say, hey, listen, don't get involved in match fixing and be very careful on betting. Take your phone, put it aside, don't gamble. People can gamble on you, but don't play that game, and here's why. And it will bring athletes out of bad problems like Chris Russo from uh, FAN. I remember my son, Billy the Fourth, Brian, saying to me five or six years ago, Dad, what are you doing talking to those people about being involved in problem gambling? I said, the smart companies know the only way to have a sustainable gaming industry is to make sure we address problem gambling. Well, you know, you're covering a lot of bases here. And it's not a binary worldview, right? You're touching on all of these facets all around. I want to sharpen the pencil just a little bit as we wrap things up a little bit here. Jobs, 
how's it helping put people to work, especially coming out of the pandemic? I would imagine maybe the pandemic has leaned into this a little bit because people may not obviously be going to casinos, right? Talk to me. Well, first of all, if it were not for online gaming, every casino in this country would be shuttered that doesn't have online gaming legalized in them because those other folks shut down. They're barely going to be able to open back up. Atlantic City and Vegas both have online gaming and they get a share of that revenue. It was the only revenue for much of last year. So that's number one. Number two, let's talk about two types of jobs. There's jobs that are directly in the industry. So marketing folks, sales folks, compliance folks, auditing, all that. Any business has that. People to work on anti-money laundering issues and so on and so forth. New Jersey's created tens of thousands of those jobs in addition to the ancillary jobs that are also involved in accounting firms being hired and law firms and software companies and hardware companies and all that. There's a company out of the Isle of Man called Continent 8. Continent 8 is a major data center company, and they set up data centers in each of the casinos and racetracks to host the servers. Hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue were created and generated in business for that. Sports betting, Cantor Gaming, related to Cantor Fitzgerald, did a study two years ago after the Supreme Court overturned PASPA. There's going to be 260,000 jobs created in sports betting alone. Another 100,000 jobs will be created in online gaming alone. Those numbers are conservative because we only have about 16 states that have legalized it so far. Texas, Florida, California haven't legalized it yet. And New York only has retail sports betting. You can't bet online in New York. Ohio is going to pass the bill later this year. They're not live yet. Virginia goes live later this year. Maryland and Arizona just passed bills in the past few days. So less than a third of the country has online gaming right now. Quick follow-up on that. Is there any slice or difference with Native American presence? I mean, do they occupy a different space? Or- Big time, Brian. I mean, you're good. You're really good uh, doing, your, doing your homework and knowing your stuff. Reason California and Florida haven't popped yet. Texas is different, and I'll explain. And the reason Jersey pops so quickly, part of it, in addition to my efforts, we have no federally recognized tribes in New Jersey. We do have tribes, but they're not federally recognized. Whereas in California, you have huge federally recognized tribes with massive political clout, and they were not much like the brick-and-mortar casinos. They thought that this was a threat to them online gaming. And we've been working with the tribal gaming. I love that. It's a whole different world to me. I enjoy those people. They work hard. All their profits go back into the tribe and the community for healthcare and all the issues they have in the tribes with welfare and social issues. But they're really starting to realize during the pandemic that maybe a lot of what we've told them is right, that this is a way for them to survive. And like I've said before, just to throw a bone in about lotteries, the lottery system in our country is aging out. There are very few 20-year-olds and 30-year-olds that are walking into bodegas or 7-Elevens to buy lottery tickets. But if you can buy it on your phone. <laughs> yeah, Instagram, hey. <laughs> More job. More job. Let me, uh, let me wrap things up. 
Give me a sense of what kind of dollar value is this industry currently? Well, first of all, the legal sports betting market is still eclipsed by the black market. Okay. New Jersey last year, just New Jersey, Mm -hmm. did over $12 billion in sports bets, $12 billion in sports bets. Oh, man. Multiply those numbers out by the taxes, you start to realize. Now, when you talk about the other states collectively and New Jersey, this is going to approach easily a trillion dollar industry within the next five years. Easily. Yeah. That was the number I had in my head. I wonder if you were going to go there. Wow. You know, start looking at that 13.5% and that 8%. And oh, man. Wow. Wow. Well, Bill Pascrell III, or as you are affectionately called, BP3, which I love. So thank you for taking time to talk with me. We just really scratched the surface. And, you know, we have so much more to talk about next time. We'll have you back. But uh, thanks for taking time to talk. Thank you for having me, Brian. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to the East Main Podcast. This is Brian Brodeur. Please don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends and leave us a good rating. We'd really appreciate it. If you want to drop us a line, you can, of course, visit our website, eastmainmedia.com, and follow us on social media at East Main Media. And as always, please stay safe and healthy. Thanks for listening.